0: Good morning, fellow church members, visitors, and guests. My name is Ted Richard, and I have the privilege to uh, bring God's Word before you this morning. Now, just this past week, uh, my wife and I had the privilege of driving all the way to San Antonio, Texas, to see our oldest son, Isaac, graduate from Air Force Boot Camp. Uh, In fact, you all are partners in that success, because 15 years ago, this fall, he started K-4 here at Hampton Park in Miss Elf's class, so... As many of you know, it does go by quickly. But as I was driving up to the gate to this particular Air Force base, I was reminded of something I should never forget, the Air Force core values. And I almost don't have the heart to tell them they're all from the New Testament, right? Our our secular government kind of has forgotten where it came from. But these three core values are this, integrity first, service before self, and excellence in all that we do. You can't get much better than that, except for, of course, adding... To the glory of God, which they don't. But it's that first core value that got my attention because it's what we're looking at this morning. Integrity first. Integrity first. And I have a definition of integrity for you. It's not on a slide, so please listen. This comes from the Oxford Dictionary. They tell us this, that integrity is the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. And I like the second part of the definition even better. The state of being whole and undivided. The state of being whole and undivided. What is it called when we don't have integrity? What is the opposite of integrity but hypocrisy? Hypocrisy. And now you understand why integrity is crucial for those of us who follow Christ. And today as we continue in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're really picking up, of course, where Drew left off last week. But today's passage is very much so connected to what he preached. It's almost a continuation or a re-emphasis or really the application of what we learned uh, in the sermon last week, as you will see here soon. And you'll see on the screen behind me, this is the big idea. This is the main idea of what we'll be looking at in verses 9 through 12 of chapter 2. Today, Paul's example should inspire us to conduct ourselves with integrity as we continue to steward the gospel of Jesus Christ in a world... That is increasing in a hostility toward the church. And you see how that fits in so nicely with the overall theme of our study in these two letters to the church at Thessalonica, right? Faith under fire, thriving in a hostile world. How do we thrive as Christians, as a church, in a world that is hostile and in a nation that's growing and increasing in hostility to the local church? And I even thought of of the Thessalonians when we were hearing about Pakistan a few moments ago in our time of prayer. I believe the church there in Pakistan understands, right? They, they can empathize so much with this and many of the early church where Christianity was a minority religion and where it was born and seeded in, in a nation where there was an initial and an ongoing hostility and persecution to the church. But we as Christians in America, uh, as we know, uh, can learn from them and prepare ourselves for what is to come. Also on this slide, you'll see the two, the two divisions, the two points, uh, the two ways in which we can have integrity, which God is calling us to have integrity as Christians. The first, as we will see, and it's really a, a repeat of last week, right? This was Drew's second point last week, motives that are above reproach. And if you're anything like me, and, and How I am tempted, especially in the area of pride, I can use a reminder of proper motives two weeks in a row. So we're going to hit that again. Motives that are above reproach, and then we'll also see something we're very familiar with coming out of our study of Ephesians on Sunday nights, a walk that is worthy of God, one of Paul's favorite metaphors for the Christian life. So let's go ahead and, and go to our text. We'll read together. You'll see it on the slide behind me, verses 9 through 12. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Paul writes, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So again, the first part, we'll be looking at motives that are above reproach. Again, the building blocks of integrity. And when we approach verse 9, we see that word for. We see the conjunction there. And if you're a good Bible student, like I know many of you are, whenever you see for or therefore, you want to back up and be reminded and, and understand contextually Uh, why it's there. And if you've heard me teach in in one of the core classes, I always say this, context is king. That is the first rule of biblical interpretation. Context is king. So we're going to do a quick review of the heart of Drew's passage last week so we understand what Paul is bringing into verse 9. It's it's crucial that we do this. And so on the screen behind me, you will see that passage, at least the heart of that passage, verses 4 through 6. You can also see it in your copy of God's Word. And Paul gives us three things, three things that are so important in this passage that we want to be reminded of before we continue in today's passage. And the first you'll see in there in verse 4, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so there it is, stewardship, gospel stewardship. Paul took his stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ very seriously, and so should we so should we. When you do not take the stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ seriously, you run the risk of becoming a false teacher. And the Lord knows we have many of them in pulpits across America and the world today. We have to steward. There should be a healthy fear of God with this precious truth that we should not add to it or take away from it, but steward it well. So that's that's a motive of Paul's, very important. The second one you see there also in verse 4 that they they were entrusted with the gospel Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. And there, my friends, is the motive. That is our primary motive. That's where the battle in my heart is regularly when it comes to many things, but especially gospel ministry. Am I motivated, even here this morning, to tickle your ears, to please all of you, to give you a good sermon, keep you awake, or to please and glorify God? But whether it's preaching from a pulpit, or the day in, day out of raising children in a Christian home, or anything in between... Our motive in Christian ministry, wherever we are, should be to please God, to the glory of God. And so that's a a second thing that Paul is bringing into today's passage, in the heart of of really our motivation, of course. And then the final one, you'll see as he continues. And also look at verse 5, by the way. We learned this last week, but I love it. In verse 5, he gives a triad of what it means to please man. You can almost do a self-test here. How do I know my motive is to please man? Do you have a pretext for greed? Are you trying to use words of flattery, right, to tickle ears? Or are you trying to seek glory from people? So for emphasis, there's what it looks like to please man. But the third thing I want to hit here is at the the end of verse 6. Look what he says here. He says to them, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, and we can't miss that, Paul signals there to us that there were certain entitlements that went along with being an apostle or an apostolic associate like Timothy and Silas. Paul wanted to go so far in his stewardship of the gospel so there would be no confusion about his motives that he even turned down certain things that he was entitled to. An apostle was entitled to getting lodging and and food from the very community they were seeking to serve, right? Whether it was a church plant or coming alongside of a church to, to encourage and help them out there were certain entitlements. And I know about that being in the military. If you've been in the military before, you know some of the best entitlements are housing and food. They go to great lengths to provide every soldier, airman, sailor, and in between, lodging and food. Sometimes it's direct, given to you on the base. Sometimes it's in the form of extra money in your paycheck. It's a good thing. And I can't imagine giving up those entitlements. I like them. But Paul was willing to give those entitlements up And there's a few reasons why that he was willing to do this. And that's what we're going to see in our passage. So let's come back to verse 9 and re-examine the text here. He says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day, and here's the first one, that we might not be a burden to any of you. So now we understand why Paul and Timothy and Silas were willing to go to such great lengths to work. Think about this. They could have taken food and money and given all day to gospel ministry, but instead, they were willing to work an artisan trade, we assume tent making, so that, and then preach the gospel and do ministry at night. That's a very long day. I know some of you know what that's like. That's a very long day, and they were willing to do that because they didn't want there to be any confusion with their motives, and they did not want it to be a burden. That's the first thing we see here. And... You can imagine, imagine if it was your house, you'd be really happy to receive Paul, Timothy, and Silas. You know, you're you're providing, maybe you're giving up your own bed for them, you're feeding them. But after a few weeks, that might become a burden. You might start to think, hey, these guys aren't here to help us with the gospel. They're here because they're getting a free ride, right? Well, they didn't want to be a burden to any of them. And I'm sure you guys can understand or, or share stories about burdens. And the one my wife and I experienced, early in our marriage. It was so early, we still had the tans from our honeymoon. And it, it was in Florida. We were on the West Coast. My parents were on the East Coast. And that year, we got hit with so many, like four, a lot of hurricanes. It happens a lot down there. Some of you may have lived there before. Anyways, a hurricane was heading to Melbourne, where they lived. They asked if they could come and stay with us, She'd get out of harm's way. And of course, what, what family is not going to do that for a family member? What we didn't expect until they arrived was they picked up three couples along the way that lived in their condo community. And the kicker was a stray cat also. We weren't expecting that. And we had a little two-bedroom, 900-square-foot apartment. So obviously, it, it was a good sanctifying moment for us. And see, Paul didn't want that to happen, or even the accusation of that. So... And then the other thing we see here in in, in verse 9 as we continue is the gospel. And there you see it at the end of verse 9. They didn't want to be a burden while they proclaimed the gospel of God. And that goes back to the stewardship thing that we looked at. It was so precious. And if we think about the things that are so precious to us, what lengths do we go to protect them, to guard them? And, And that's really the motive behind this. Paul was willing to go to great lengths, again, to steward and protect the gospel of Jesus Christ so that no one could even begin to suspect an ulterior motive. And that was the second reason they were willing to work, again, all day long, pay their own way, and then spend the evenings with the gospel ministry and the church there. Uh, and then as we move to verse 10, again, considering motives here, this is very powerful because Paul here is calling the church to witness. And not only that, calling God to witness. He says, you are witnesses and God also. And we saw this three, week, three times last week, in last week's passage. you remember how and Drew pointed it out how he said, "As you know, as you know, I think three different times in last week's passage. they saw all this, they witnessed it. Uh, Paul wasn't telling them anything they did not know. And here he's again summarizing all that once again. You are witnesses. You saw our behavior. You saw the way we acted, and then he even calls God to witness, God also, right? If you're going to call God to witness your behavior, you know he was there. You know he saw it all. He even saw it down deep into the heart. Then that's a very powerful statement that Paul is making here. And what was he calling them to witness and to remember? Of how holy and righteous and blameless their conduct was toward the church there in Thessalonica. And, uh, of course, holy and, and, and righteous, we understand that. In terms of their conduct, but the the word blameless there is the very powerful word here that you need to pay attention to. That's where we get our, our, our point for today, for this section, above reproach, above accusation. We acted in such a way that nobody could condemn us or accuse us of ulterior motives. And friends, the application for us is that we we should take that just as seriously when it comes to the gospel ministry, really when it comes to anything in life. And you may remember Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 5. We know all that he went through with that mission as governor to rebuild the wall, but also the worshiping community of Jerusalem. And I love it there in chapter 5 because he says that he did not take what the governor was entitled to in terms of food, but he provided food for himself and all of his workers from his own pocket, right? It's that same type of Willingness not to confuse motives, not to take entitlements, to, to make sacrifices for the sake of the gospel mission. So this is a true statement that we can summarize this first section. Pure God-glorifying motives lead to pure God-glorifying conduct. And that's the point. If we get the motives wrong, we become hypocrites. We could become two-faced. We are no longer whole, but divided, And that is what we want to uh, avoid. And here at Hampton Park Baptist Church, right, this is true for each and every one of us as members, right? We, we hold true one of the great Protestant recoveries from the medieval church, and that is the priesthood of believers. Everyone who has the Holy Spirit is a minister of the gospel of God. But here at this church, we have a lot of folks that are in vocational ministry or training to be vocational ministry. So we need to take this even more so to heart than the average Christian. Whether you are, uh, of course, a pastor here on staff or a non-staff pastor, a deacon, a life group teacher, a Sunday school teacher, uh, a school teacher or faculty. Maybe you're a seminary professor or faculty, or maybe you're a student in every one of those organizations learning and studying. I wish someone had taught me more about motives before I began my vocational journey in ministry because it will make or break. Right away, you go either on the right path or the wrong path. It's so important for for each of us. And of course, the question you and I can ask, and this is your application assignment for this first section, the question to ask, and I would encourage you to ask it every day as you're spending time with God, uh, am I going to please God or am I going to please man? And the question you ask is this, are the people that God has put before me to serve a means to an end or an end in themselves? Because if you have the wrong motives, and I've been there. If you have the wrong motives in ministry, people are a means to an end. Another stepping stone for you to get to where you want to get. And, and you can be very blind to this. Sin is very deceptive, as we know. Or are those people, those opportunities, whether it's fellow Christians to encourage or whether it's lost people that you're praying for and wanting to see come to faith in Christ, are they an end in themselves? That's where we want to be. That's how we know our motives are where. They need to be where they will glorify God. And here's a a passage for application we can look at before we move on. This is in, in the realm of giving, realm of giving from the Sermon on the Mount. This is our Lord speaking. He says, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your Father, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. That's what good motives look like. That's what motives look like that please God. The second point, the second section, the second building block of integrity is a worthy walk. Now, understand here, these two do not exist separately. All right? Good motives, motives that please and glorify God lead to a walk worthy of God. There's a direct connection. There's a direct connection, right? And they all are in the realm of integrity, what integrity looks like uh, in ministry. And what's a good illustration for a worthy walk? What what was Paul trying to communicate? Well, let me ask you a question. If you have an apple tree, what fruit should you expect to see from the apple tree? It's just consistency. It's just consistency. And again, going to our Lord in the Sermon on the Mount, He has a wonderful passage he tells us here. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. What is true about that person's motives and characters will come out in their fruits, right? He says, you will recognize them by their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or thigs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit and every diseased tree bears bad fruit. And if you are a follower of Christ and in the ministry of the gospel that you have signed up for, I don't know if you guys realize that, but you have signed up for it from the home to the pulpit and everywhere in between, whatever God is calling you to do in mission and in gospel ministry, this is what a worthy walk looks like. The fruit should be consistent with the profession of our allegiance to Jesus Christ and his glorious gospel. So we return to the text. And Paul says in verse 11, for you know how like a father with his children. I don't know why there's two verses here. In my mind, 11 and 12 should be one verse, but we're going to treat them separately. And this fatherly role that Paul loved in the life of the churches he planted was so important to him. This is a third reason why he did not take food food money or a salary or free housing from this church. We already saw he didn't want to be a burden. We also saw he wanted to protect the integrity of the gospel. The third reason was he wanted to be their father. And truly, he was. If he started taking money from them, it would convolute his true role that he relished in their lives. Look for yourselves at this passage from 1 Corinthians where he, he says the same thing to them more explicitly. He says, for, for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then be imitators of me, He planted these churches. He was their father. And he didn't want that to change because it gave him a voice in their lives that was so crucial. These churches had pastors. The church at Thessalonica had a pastor. Paul, Timothy, and Silas were not their pastor. right? They were raising up pastors for them because they had to move on to the next town. And as we know from our time in Acts 17, it was rather quickly. So he wanted to have that complementing voice And really, we have a very similar thing here at Hampton Park. One of the things I love about Drew's passion and his role as our teaching pastor is he shares the pulpit. It's a rare thing. I wish it happened more often, but he shares the pulpit. And, of course, he shares it with the other staff pastors, and we need to hear from them more than anyone. But occasionally, he'll even share it with non-staff pastors or members like myself, right? And we're not on the payroll. And there's a healthy thing there when people who who aren't, are in that role, right, who are not the normal pastors are, are saying the same thing our pastors are saying, are complimenting what our pastors are saying. It's powerful, and it's so healthy for us. And I love that. And the fact that I have the honor to be part of that today is still overwhelming. But that's one of the great things we have. Don't take that for granted. It is a gift here at our church at Hampton Park. So awesome. But as we see here, he has this fatherly role. And then verse eleven. I'm sorry, verse 12 gives us three important verbs. And, and also, if you're taking notes here and you're a dad, by the way, raise your hand if you're a father, regardless of your age. Show me all. We're all the fathers. And many of you are future fathers, too. Like, you could take this passage and get some awesome practical instruction about how to be a father to your own children, because it really convicted me this week. This passage should be an all-father training. Look at these three verbs that marked his fatherly role that he coveted in the life of the church. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Now, the first two we see there, exhorted and encouraged, they're different Greek words, but they're completely synonymous. The first one Paul uses pretty often in his writing, the second one, not so much. And so the first thing I ask is, why would Paul repeat himself and say the same, essentially the same word two times in a row? Well, I believe I know what's happening here because both words can be used in two different ways. And so I think Paul's using one of them in one way and the other in the second way. And I'll explain that to you. The first one is face value. It's encouragement, right? How many of you love to have that person in your life who encourages you? Who's your cheerleader? Who says, good job. This is the way you should go. This is what you should be doing. This is what it looks like to please and serve God. So that's how he's using one, positively. The second use of these words, which I think we're also getting here, is admonishment. It's admonishment. It's really two sides of the same coin. And that's where someone who loves us, who's encouraging us, will also say, hey, be careful of this. Don't go this way. This is not what it looks like to please and honor God. So a good father, a real father with his children, but also Paul with these churches, would encourage him towards the straight and narrow, but then warn them of the path that leads to Vanity Fair, of, of, among other things as well. So that's what's happening with those two. But it's this third word, this third verb that's very powerful, where he says, and I charged you to walk in a manner worthy, worthy of God. The Greek word there refers to invoking of witness very powerfully. It, it's a calling to, to testify, to swear almost, to do a certain thing. Now, in the, uh, in the Air Force, as a chaplain, I'm actually an officer, uh, which we, we need to be, because when you're an officer in the military, no one ever asks you, what are you doing here? And, you know, what are you doing here? Who can I help you? Right? They see you, and you're an officer. You have a right to pretty much go anywhere you want, uh, within reason. And as a chaplain, I have the opportunity to go into all of these squadrons on base, which I love doing, like a workplace chaplain, if you're familiar with that. And so that officer rank is like a backstage pass. But there's something else that comes along with being an officer, too, is we get the privilege occasionally to help enlisted airmen re-enlist. In order to enlist or re-enlist into the military, all you need is an American flag and an officer and a couple witnesses. And so often I'll be walking around and someone will say, hey, we got some re-enlistments later today. Can you come back and perform those? And I get the opportunity with the flag and raise the right hand, have them raise the the right hand, repeat after me. It would almost be like what, what Paul's using here would be like, me having every one of you raise your right hand and repeat after me that I'm going to walk in a manner worthy of God. That's what this verb, that's what this charging is bringing out. So very powerful, very uh, pointed to, to what it means to walk in a manner worthy of God. And that brings us to our second point, right? Good motives, but also a walk, a walk that is in a manner worthy of God. And the word walk there, we're very familiar with it. Again, Paul uses it in a lot of places. You'll see it here on the screen with Philippians 1, one of several examples you'll see. He says, "...only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel." And the word walk there, again, is just referring to consistency. F.F. Bruce calls it a continuity of consistency. That's what the meaning of that word walk is. That what I profess to be lines up with my life, the fruit of my life. Now, perfection, no. None of us are perfect, right? That's where grace comes in. That's where the gospel every day is so needed by each and every one of us. We have to continually find our identity in the grace of Jesus Christ, because we're not perfect. But but consistently over our life, the light of Christ should shine brighter and brighter. The fruit should be more abundant and useful for God in his ministry. That's the idea of the walk, that there's a consistency and a worthiness of God. Now, you'll see here, too, again, another passage, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Uh, Very familiar with that. Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And I chose this passage, one, because we just, coming out of Ephesians on Sunday evening, and I did get the opportunity to preach one of those. And if you were there, you might remember the illustration I gave for the book of Ephesians. And this came from one of my professors long ago. He said, Ephesians is the perfect manual for the Christian life because the first three chapters deal with theology. And he illustrated that by the music. But the third, the the second half, the, the, the latter three chapters, four through six, if the first three is the music, four through six is the dance. This is where we apply the gospel. And that is the walk, the walk that is worthy of God. And you'll see there at the end of our verse today, in verse 12, Paul says this, a manner worthy of God who calls you, who calls you. That's very important. Don't miss the word calls there because this, my friends, again, we already used motives. Now I'm using motivation. Again, you see how it all mixes together. But that word calls is very important when it comes to the why. Why, pastor or chaplain? Why, chaplain? Why should... Why should I have motives that are above reproach? Why should I walk in a manner worthy of God? And that verb, calls, is so important. Many scholars believe Paul's use of that particular verb, kaleo, is a technical term for the moment in time that God called you or enabled you and I to repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ. The drawing that happened. Right? We know from, again, Ephesians 1 that God predestined us. He adopted us. But the, calla- or the calling is the moment where the time had arrived. I know when my time was. I don't know the day. It was sometime in 1995. You may know the day, but all of us who are followers of Christ can remember the moment, maybe even as young children, when we came and repented and put our faith in Jesus Christ. And why is that important here? I have found in my life, when it comes to maintaining healthy motives, when it comes to having a worthy walk, that the sovereignty of God in my salvation is an incredible force in motivating me to do these very things, to have the integrity that we're talking about today. As we regularly review the gospel and remind ourselves, just like we sing with that song, Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated, at your table. That phrase just gets me. I can't get over that. Once your enemy, now seated at your table, now adopted into the family of God. And so there is another street-ready application for you. You want the motive, the fuel to obey what Paul's been teaching us now for a couple weeks? Regularly remember the grace of God in bringing you and I to faith in Jesus Christ. Don't take that for granted. And don't Overthink your role in your own salvation. It is only by the grace of God that we are saved. And that will motivate you. And then we see into what? Into his own kingdom and glory. Paul talks everywhere about heaven. He could not get over it. It was the secret, one of the secrets to why he was able to endure so much suffering and yet maintain such joy. It's because he never took an eye off the finish line. And we see it in all his letters. Where are all the metaphors that he always uses? For the finish line. He even tells the Philippians, I kind of hope I'm going home. I hope my time has come, but I think God's going to keep me around a little bit longer for your sake. He could not wait to cross the finish line. He could not wait to taste glory. He could not wait to see Jesus face to face. Every day, he disciplined himself to be excited and to remember where this whole thing was going the finish line of faith, the glory and kingdom of God. And I believe that's what the helmet of salvation is in Ephesians 6, in the armor of God. And so there's our second piece of uh, motivating fuel, if you will, to obey what we're learning today, right? Remember the sovereignty of God, but never take your eyes off the finish line, the finish line of our faith. And here you see from another letter of Paul's in Colossians 1, he says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins and a few final application points that kind of hit on what we've learned and where we've been today the first is this when it comes to the motive piece right i've already given you a question to ask about means to an end in itself but ask the lord i mean seriously like pray each and every day. I try to do this regularly myself. Ask the Lord to reveal in you where you are motivated to please people, even yourself, more than pleasing Him. Especially, of course, in gospel ministry, which should include and does include the Christian home. Make that a part of your regular prayer life. Lord, please reveal to me. Show me. Because as we know, sin can blind, right? Especially pride. Show me, Lord, where I am more motivated to please myself or others—fear of man—than to please you. And by the way, the fear of God frees us from the fear of man. Did you ever know that? Did anyone ever tell you that? When you learn to care more what God thinks, it frees you from caring too much what people think, and thus, you know, fearing man, which is very crippling. The second thing is this, and this has to do with the worthy walk. If you have not already, find another believer to speak into your life. This could be a mentor, an accountability partner, somebody that's already in a small group with you. And have them hold you accountable when your lifestyle and your motives are not consistent with your gospel profession. And some of you, many of you are already doing this. I encourage you, continue to maintain those relationships. Maybe even uh, ask that God would bring someone to you, that you could be that person for them, that stronger brother or sister in Christ to hold them accountable, and, and really to sharpen each other as we, as we learn, of course, uh, in the Old Testament. Very important, very satisfying. And then finally, is that Amber Alert going on? Finally, um, the third thing has to do with our daily devotions. Our daily devotions and our time with God. There's two goals that we should have when it comes to our time with God every day. The first one is this killing the flesh. We all still have the flesh, right, even though we are redeemed and saved. Our goal, when it comes to Scripture intake, when it comes to our prayer time daily, is a killing of the flesh. And the second thing is the corresponding help that we need, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, And I encourage you, if you haven't already, Don Whitney has an incredible book on spiritual disciplines. I've seen it in our bookstore before. Maybe there you can go grab a copy But Don Whitney's book on spiritual disciplines is the best one I've encountered thus far. And while he gives teaching on several disciplines, he takes scripture intake and prayer and separates them as the two most important that we need. And those are the tools we've been given, both to put to death the flesh, mortification, but also to be filled with the Spirit of God. And that is key to achieve all that we've been talking about today. And again, I thank you for this opportunity, and I encourage you, in this pursuit of integrity and ministry. It is crucial in all that we do and all that God is calling us to do as individuals, as families, and as a church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, my prayer for myself and for my brothers and sisters and fellow church members here today is that we would be a church properly motivated for the glory of God. Our motives sometimes can be all over the place. Lord, teach us and help us each day to center our motives on you, to center our motives on what matters most to you in terms of your glory and in terms of your kingdom priorities and as it pertains to me, as it pertains to my family, as it pertains to this local church. Father, help us to have walks that are worthy of you. As as we live in a world that is increasing in its hostility, it's crucial, Lord, that we shine bright for the glory of Christ, regardless of the consequences. Teach us, O Lord, to do that, and help us to be your salt and your light and the tools that you love to use and love to grab and pull out of the shed as you're winning souls to the kingdom, as you're bringing men, women, and children to faith in Jesus Christ from within our congregation but also outside of our congregation and in the many mission fields represented in this room today. Again, we thank you for this time. Be with us now as we continue to worship you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.